Welcome to another episode of um, the lecture series that uh, we have. I hope everyone is doing well. So this week, I will be covering the renal disorders. Okay, so renal disorders. So here we go. Without further ado, uh, this is a little shorter shorter chapter, so it will be a little bit easier to cover. Um, shouldn't be too, too hard. There's a few things that really um, that kind of stand out that, that we really want you to know. Uh, but for the most part, I'm sure you guys are already familiar with most of this information. So, okay. Without further ado, let's get to it. Okay, so this is the overview that we're going to cover today. Um, in terms of kidney, what, what the function of a kidney is, kidney actually does a lot of things, more things than you, than most people actually realize. Uh, they usually you know, it's not just getting rid of water, getting rid of the uh, the waste product, but also conserve nutrients, balance the acid base. We talked about that. Also help make your red blood cells, also help with your blood pressure. So there's a lot of things that kidney actually does, not just one simple thing. I'm going to spend a little bit of time, especially the, uh, the first part is kind of re refreshing your memory on the kidney function, what the, what the actually, what, how does kidney actually work. So this, that's very important for you to know, especially for your next quiz and for your final exam. So as you remember, I'm not sure you remember, this is what the kidney looks like. And you have the, uh, the pyramid, the renal pyramid, renal column between the two. Uh, and you also have the minor calyxes, major calyxes. You have the renal pelvis. The hilum, which is the opening the area, which has everything from renal vein, renal artery, and the ureter as well coming out. So um, this is the medulla, and you have the cortex here, renal cortex, and you also have the renal capsule around it. The most important part to remember is that the nephron, most of the nephron is actually in the cortex. Okay, Majority of the nephrons are in the cortex. Um, there's only about 15% of the nephron that have the loop of Henry down into the uh, into the medulla, into the pyramid, the renal pyramid. All of the structure that we're about to talk about, that we're about to talk about, is um, going to be definitely in the renal cortex area. Okay, so that's the, the the most important part of the most important part of the kidney. Okay, so you guys would go buy this. Uh, this little um, graph would actually show what section does what. Um, I have another one that I actually found on Google, which is seems to be a little bit better. So I'll talk with that one instead. So do know the anatomy and physiology of this, which I'll explain shortly. Um, know the anatomy and physiology of the, the nephron. You will be asked on your next quiz and your next your final exam on that. So this is the one that I found online, which is uh, on Google, that's, which is really good. Um, first, you have the afferent arterioles, AA for afferent, A for coming in, B for exiting. So when you come in with afferent, this is the gormalis, gormalis. You have the efferent, that's when the blood is sitting out. What filter through the gormalis into the Bowman capsule? I always look at the nephron as the snake. You have the head of the snake here, the neck, the body, and the tail of the snake. Okay, so the head of the snake is the Bowman capsule, uh, and what filter through is pretty much everything that's not large. Anything that's small will filter through. Everything that's small, including glucose, uh, amino acid, 
small uh, small amino acid does go through as well. Uh, creatinine, urea, water, sodium, any electrolytes would go all the way through. So anything big like protein, big chunk of protein cannot go through. Cannot get through this big chunk like red blood cells, white blood cell, platelet. All of those are huge. So when you when those huge particles, they cannot get through. Okay, just think of snake. You know, only have they could eat only small stuff. You cannot eat like big huge stuff. Okay, they're not anaconda. They could eat the whole cows. So this one just eat a small stuff. You could have water. You could have electrolytes. You could have glucose, amino acid. All the small stuff does get through. The big one does not. So that's the first one you should know what actually gets through. The second part you should know is this is this is called PCT, proximal convoluted tubule. Proximal convoluted tubule, uh, this is where things start to absorb. So the first part we talk about filtration, but the rest of it is actually all mostly about reabsorption. Okay, mostly reabsorption. So the second part here, PCT, the big thing to remember is what absorb here. The, and the biggest one to remember is this guy here, which is the glucose and amino acid. Glucose and amino acid absorb at PCT right here, proximal convoluted tubule. You have bicarb, you have sodium, you have salt as well as water uh, being absorbed at this, this location as well. But the most important part is glucose and amino acid because this is the only location that your glucose and your amino acid will be absorbed. If you look at the rest of them, you cannot find anywhere else that actually glucose and amino acid will be absorbed. Only this section here. As we come down here, this is the loop of Henry. You have the descending versus the ascending. Let's talk about the ascending first because this is the very important structure. On the ascending, you have the absorption of the salt, okay? Absorption of salt, sodium. Uh, this is usually done by the active transport. You actually we actively pulling sodium back into the blood. You're pulling sodium back into the blood, okay? So the reason we're doing that on this side here so with, with the sodium going into your blood here, you become your blood will become hyperosmotic, hyperosmotic, meaning that you have a lot of solute, a lot of sodium, but not a lot of water. You don't have a lot of water, so your water concentration is low. Therefore, on this side, if the water concentration is low, then the water will travel osmosis via passive transport, uh, going from the higher concentration to the lower concentration. So technically, this is a very genius way of you know, how your body works. Your body actually absorbing things with, you know, using active transport, putting sodium into your blood, and using a passive transport, absorbing those water. You don't have to actually work reabsorbing those water. Okay. For the most part, and, and I forgot to mention this, but when, on your daily basis, uh, right here, when we filtrate out water, uh, most of the time, we filtrate out, sorry, uh, most of the time, um, if you look at the whole entire day and also both of your kidneys, okay, uh, most of the time we actually filter about 180 liters of water per day. Your gromelulus, this little guy here, filter, filter out 180 liters of water every day. Okay. However, your, your pee, you only pee out about 1.5 to 2 liters of water a day, 1.5 to 2 liters of water a day. So, therefore, you that's mean that you actually absorb, reabsorbing all of the water back 178, um, roughly 178 to 178.5 liters of water back into your body every day.
So you, most of your function, the, the, the main function, literally the main function of this snake on the nephron is to reabsorb that water pack, that water reabsorption. So you're going to see water reabsorption everywhere. You re, you see that at, uh, at the PCT, you're going to see at the group of Henry, you're going to see at DCT, distal convoluted tubule, and even at the uh, collecting tubules as well. So you're going to see that everywhere. So that's the main function that uh, where we reabsorb water. Okay, so reabsorbing water here in loop of Henry. We also reabsorb water at DCT. The special part for DCT, this still convoluted tubule, is that this is the location where your aldosterone is actually, uh, when your aldosterone deletes, this is where it reacts to. This is where it tells uh, your body whether to dump the sodium. Um, again, sodium follow water. So you dump sodium, water. And you're going to dump the water as well. Or reabsorb the sodium, you're going to reabsorb the water. So that's where the location, the magic location, that that's occur. So at that DCT, I would re recommend to remember this because this is important to know. Uh, ADH, we talked about ADH before, vasopressin or ADH anti-diuretic hormone, anti-peeing hormone. So ADH works here at the clock, at the beginning of the collecting tubule, at the beginning tubules right here. The water reabsorption happened right here with ADH. Uh, collecting tubules, again, you, this is the, the last location, the last place where you can actually absorb those water. So, therefore, this is, think of the last bus stop for your water to get in. If you're not coming back here, uh, that's it. Uh, this is your way out. This is the exit only. You're going to uh, exit out this door. You're not coming back. So, this is the last place where you could reabsorb your water. Okay, so... Quick overview of the nephron, which I hope you uh, I hope you remember this. Um, very similar to this little chart that it has here as well. Okay, has a little better graphic I would say uh, with this chart. So I would recommend knowing this, uh, knowing what reabsorb where, uh, which uh, each location of the, um, the nephron, what's the, the importance of each location, and what it does. You will see that on your exam. So, so renal endocrine function, we talked about several of these things, so you do need to know these, okay? So we talked about RAS before, RAS, uh, renin angiotensin aldosterone system. So you should know that, again, based on your kidney, your kidney release renin. Um, also, it released EPO. Hopefully, you remember what EPO is. Uh, EPO, erythropoietin, that has to do with uh, making your red blood cells, your white blood cells, and your platelet in, in your bone marrow. Kidney also does that. Uh, kidney also play a big role in terms of ANP and DNP. Uh, that helps uh, decrease your blood pressure. Both of those actually help lower your blood pressure. And the last one, kidney also play a vital role. Something you should know for your exam um, that kidney play a vital role in terms of vitamin D reabsorption. Uh, help with um, reabs reabsorbing those calcium. Okay. Should know those. So next we're going to talk about urinary tract obstruction. This is when you actually have um, the obstruction of your urinary tract, depending on the location, depending on whether it's upper or lower, which we will go over, and how severe it is, how big or how small the obstruction is, so and what may cause it. So the first one we're going to look at upper urinary tract obstruction. So upper, when we talk about upper, this is getting into the kidney. Uh, kidney or even just right post-kidney ureter. So all of these are the upper, so like hydro-ureter, which means you have the dilation of your ureter. Uh, Hydronephrosis, that means your, uh, your, your kidney itself, your nephron, become actually 
blown up uh, with water. You're collecting water there. Ure Ureteral hydronephrosis, that means your ureter and your nephron both dilated. You're going to see that on the next picture. Uh, tubular in interstitial fibrosis, this is actually, uh, you have too much amount of any extracellular matrix on there. You can see here, this is the example of your ureteral inter, uh, let's say ureteral hydronephrosis. You will see your ureter, your ureter becomes bigger, your renal pelvis becomes huge, almost your major calyces and minor calyces are gone because become like a huge uh, section instead. So when you have urinary tract uh, obstruction, you're going to have hypertrophy, hy hyperfunction. Um, you, things may not come out afterward. Like you may have, uh, you know, uh, oligouria, meaning you have very little urine coming out. Um, but you have the obstruction. You're going to cause pain. Um, may cause electrolyte imbalance and other things as well. We're going to cover all of this later on. Lower urinary tract obstruction has been toward the end, passing your bladder, your, at the location of your bladder or below. Okay, so like your prostate enlargement for men, most commonly with men, we're going to talk about BPH today. Uh, urethral stricture, uh, severe, um, severe pelvic organ prolapse, lower bladder wall co compliance, all of those can happen due to the lowest urinary tract obstruction. Uh, we'll go into these uh, signs and symptoms uh, later on as well when we talk about each specific things about these, uh, these guys. So first one, the most common one that you actually have seen, uh, this is the UTI, urinary tract infection. Uh, technically, that's not the medical term. The medical term are cystitis or pyelonephritis. Okay, depending on where it is, cystitis is in the bladder, whereas pyelonephritis is actually in your kidney, in your nephron. Most common is your E. coli, your most common culprit. But you could have staph, you could have Klebsiella, you could have uh, gonorrhea, so all kinds of things. Fungal infection. Symptoms, I don't probably need to cover those. Most of you know this already, most of the time. Um, again, we recommend UA. The one thing that I want to warn, uh, warn you guys, a lot, a lot of time I've seen this happen with family practitioners, is that we tend to overthink things. Uh, we tend to overthink all of the more complicated kidney um, issues. Uh, a lot of time we forget to do, which amazingly uh, enough, um, I've seen doctors after doctors actually forget to do UA, as simple as UA, to see whether actually the patient has uh, urinary tract infection. They start thinking about all kinds of other things, endocrine disease, they start thinking about renal disease. So think of, you know, start from the, the most common thing first, make sure you rule out the most common thing first by looking at the UA. Okay. Simply put, just looking at the UA. Uh, you could do culture, CNS, um, blood culture as well, to see whether uh, what type of bugs they have. But most commonly is uh, bacteria infection. Also, uh, just to warn you, uh, if you prescribe um, antibiotics to your patient, uh, for women who actually often have chronic UTI, chronic uh, UTI, so one thing to expect is that if you actually prescribe too many antibiotics, one thing you will see is they come in with fungal infection. And fungal infection in this case is not anywhere else. They could be, they could have fungal infection down there uh, in terms of um, 
down in uh, the, the, the genitalia because of the uh, lack of bacteria down there. Uh, also, you could see a congestion like the nose, uh, the upper respiratory infection as well. Sinusitis, things like that, is very common if you actually overprescribe antibiotics. So I really highly recommend to actually prescribe probiotic afterward as well once they finish their course of antibiotics. So once they finish those, you might want to make sure that they need to replenish the good bacteria um, to help them with um, with preventing the fungal infections. Also, um, this normal, I might have covered this with you before, uh, with UTI, most people oftentimes you know, say that you could drink uh, cranberry juice to actually help with UTI. In order to do that, you actually have to drink pure cranberry juice, meaning that you should not have any sugar in it whatsoever. And that tastes nasty, it's really bitter. So I would recommend... Um, um, there's a protein called D-mannose, and you could buy this. Uh, D-mannose, I'm sorry, M-O-S-E. Uh, uh, D-mannose is a protein that you could buy, actually, in a pill form now. Um, it's the same protein as in uh, cranberry juice. Uh, you could actually um, purchase this, uh, have your patient buy this instead, instead of have, asking them to drink. Um, cranberry juice, have them take D-mannose protein, it actually will help coat the bladder so that the bacteria actually have a harder time to stay in the bladder and that you could, they could flush it off by just peeing out those bacteria. So instead of drinking cups and cups of cranberry juice, you could just take one or two pills of this instead, much easier. So UTI, yes, feel like fire, you feel like you're peeing out fires. Uh, this could happen in children as well. More, most important to remember is a couple of things to look for in children. This one is the fever of undetermined origin. So that's the first one. And then second is incontinence or enuresis with the uh, child that used to be dry. Okay, something to keep in mind. And you can, this can happen in kids and you can be, you can treat this with kids as well. Um, a big huge one, to, um, this is a rare disease, but a very one, a very mo very important to actually remember in this one. This is called IC interstitial cystitis. Okay, um, for some some people, um, you might want to if you look at the UTI and then there's you did the UTI. They have the same symptom of UTI, but you did the UTI. It doesn't show any bacteria in there. The first thing you should think of is this little disease called. Interstitial cystitis. This is an autoimmune disease because we see more in women than men, most likely. So what happened with this disease is uh, this person usually uh, lack of APF, antiproliferative factor. What APF does is you actually, APF create a, a layer protecting your bladder. Normally you actually have this code. Uh, remember your bladder has its transitional cells, so they usually have this protective coat inside your bladder. For these folks, they don't have those coats. Okay, they don't have these codes. Therefore, they start to have bleeding. Uh, they have to have these pinpoint bleeding. And eventually, these bleeding become ulcer. We call it hunger ulcer, hunger ulcer. Okay, so you have these bleeding all the time inside your bladder. And every time you you go to bathroom, look at this. You feel like you want to go to bathroom all the time, up to 60 times day and night. So imagine that. Imagine you feel like you want to go to bathroom all the time. Uh, it's every, almost like every two seconds, uh, you feel like you may, may not be that often, but yes, you feel like you just have to go and go and go. But when you go, there's nothing coming out 
Now remember, your, your kidney is still working normally. You just feel the urge of going when you actually have nothing coming up. Okay, so every time you go, when you when you try to push out, when you try to push out your uh, urine inside the bladder, uh, this wall when it collapses, it actually press down on the ulcer. That's when you have your pain. You address that's when you have that that's excruciating pain uh, when you during the time you go. Okay, dysuria without infection. There's no cure to this disease. One of the most common treatment that we use is called Elmeron. Elmeron is only works for 30% 30 of the patient, so glossy number, really. Uh, but that's the only one that we, uh, the medication that seems to be effective for these patients. Uh, diet change can help. Alcohol, decreased alcohol, caffeine, those could actually help as well. So you can see when you press down, you have the ulcer, and when you go, you try to push out that uh, urine, you actually have, you feel really a lot of pain. Uh, this is something to know. Actually, this is on your final exam, so you should know this. You could put a star on this. I forgot to put a star on this one. But differences between the neurogenic versus overactive bladder versus in stress incontinence. So neurogenics has to do with your head. So anything that actually comes from your neuron that causing this, like uh, your CNS problem, you could have... Um, could be lupus, could be MS, could be anything that has to do with your brain and your nervous system. Uh, somehow causing the damage down there, like MS, like lupus, um, not lupus, I'm sorry, Parkinson uh, sometimes could happen there. So anything that has to do with your nervous system, um, you could have what we call neurogenic. Uh, overactive bladder, um, this is as we age, we could actually see this as well, um, that Certain medication can cause your bladder to become overactive, overactive as well. So involuntary bladder contraction. Um, stress incontinence. And definitely as we get older, your muscle, your bladder become weaker when it's weaker. Anything like laughing, coughing, sneezing, things are kind of leaking out. So you actually have these uh, stuff leaking out all the time. That's why a lot of, well, for some people, they start wearing the pants in their 40s and 50s. Just la just laughing, things just start to come out. So, um, stress incontinence, incontinence uh, that's what we talk about. So, um, technically, incontinence would not be the term to use, it's called micturation, it's little things that are leaking out, whereas incontinence, you just kind of blow it all out, you just let it go, let it flow, let it go. So, um, hopefully, that's uh, we won't get there anytime soon for for most of us. Big one to remember, this is called nephrolithiasis. nephrolithiasis. This is the kidney stone. You definitely will see this in your practice. Okay, kidney stone, nephrolithiasis. Nephrolithiasis has different name. You actually have urolithiasis or renal calculi, depending on location. Uh, depending on location. So if it's in your ureter, it would be urolithiasis. When it's in your kidney, more likely it become renal calculi. Okay. So depending on location, there's four different types of stone. You have the most common one is being calcium oxalate. That's the most common one. The second most common is struvite, which is by magnesium. Uric acid is the third one. That the, the rarest one would be amino acid cysteine. That's the fourth one. So these are the four uh, you, that uh, the most common nephrolithiasis. Okay, so calcium, this is the most common one usually. Uh, the cause is because of calcium in your blood. That could be part from your PTH, uh, your parathyroid hormone. Uh, 
Also, calcitonin hormone, those can actually cause increase of your calcium oxalate. Uh, uric acid, that could be part of your gout, if you have gout issue. Uh, your uric acid, you could create uric acid stone. Okay. Causes, usually you have more male than female, uh, between the 20s and 30s, usually. Um, the key symptom to remember is the flank pain, flank pain, which is on the side. You, you would do a kidney punch. I'm sure most of you know how to do a kidney punch. You put your head in the back of the patient and then you slam your fist to it. Okay, so that's a kidney punch. Um, they will be screaming and yelling at you if you do that. If they have these uh, any type of kidney infection or kidney stone, they will feel that. Okay. Uh, you may see hematuria and also dysuria as well. Okay. Testing, we do again, always start with UA uh, to see to rule out any other stuff. CT scan to uh, look at the stone itself. You could use uh, IVP, uh, intravenous pilogram as well. Uh, you could look at the renal function test. Your BU and your creatinine, which should likely goes up in the serum, BU and serum creatinine. You can see right here very easily seeing stone everywhere right there that's a little stone there too so, um if the stone is too large to pass there's a couple of treatment we could do one we could actually use the scope nephroscope shock wave therapy uh, those could uh, work really well if you have very small stone uh, if you have a bigger stone like these uh, i would recommend watching these videos these are actually great video to watch in terms of the stone uh, one is a kidney stone really cool video you're going to see the uh, jack stone uh, what the jack stone look like and then you're also going to see the bladder stone one of the, one of the bigger ones uh, biggest bladder stone the biggest bladder stone that ever recorded in the world Guinness book is the size of a softball. So imagine that you have a almost two and a half pound. I believe this person have a two or three and a half pound softball stuck in their body. So really painful. So, so next we're going to talk about the differences between the nephrotic versus nephritic syndrome. Nephrotic and versus nephritic syndrome. Definitely, you need to know this. You will see several questions on your exam based on the nephrotic versus nephritic syndrome. Nephrotic, oh, oh nephro, nephrotic. Think of is protein. Okay, this is the uh, this is the protein related uh, issue. So, with this, you're going to see the protein urea uh, causing your body to dump out protein. Things that uh, could be congenital, could be um, things that uh, big thing that causing your protein to leak out. So this is a filtration problem. Think of remember we talk about the gramellus and the Bowman capsule, the head of the snake. Um, gramellus actually does not allow protein to come out. Only a small protein, which is amino acid. But when that happens, if your gramellus is compromised, think of your filter. If that filter is compromised, things could just get through very easily. Things could just go through, and you're going to start seeing all of these. If protein can come through, definitely you're going to start seeing blood could come through as well. So keep that in mind. If the pore is big enough for protein to get through, perhaps part of the red blood cell will be able to get through. Diseases like uh, GN, GN is glomerulonephritis, glomerulonephritis. AI is auto, autoimmune disease infection, could actually cause frothy urine. You have minimal change nephro nephropathy, minimal change nephropathy, which is MCN, another type of disease. Um, Focal segment necrosis uh, also cause your breaking down of your glomerulus as well. Other congenital one would be you know, congenital nephrotic syndrome. Uh, 
uh, causing this in the early childhood infants. Uh, a sign to remember is that you're going to have edema if you cannot, if you can't drink too much of protein. You're going to have edema, but also you're going to have the periorbital edema. Nice little bag underneath your eyes. Okay, like this. Other conditions could cause nephrotic syndrome. You could have hyperlipidemia and also hypercoagulation. Both of those can lead to nephrotic syndrome as well. Nephritic syndrome, nephritic, which is uh, I, I for infection. Nephritic is for infection. So any type of infection uh, that could cause this, uh, this disease. Nephritic, uh, again, you may see proteinuria. Uh, you're also going to see hematuria as well. So the, the main one, the first one, uh, is glomerulonephritis. Glomerulonephritis or GN, same thing. You could have the post-strep glomerulonephritis, which is the most common one. Is you start with a strep throat, and actually we'll talk about that in the next few slides. I'm sure actually it's going to come up. So, so let's save that for a few slides after this. You could have also lupus nephritis. Um, could be a compli complication of lupus as well. Uh, SLE could actually end, end up uh, causing your kidney to end up with nephritic syndrome. The first one we're going to talk about with nephritic syndrome is IgA nephropathy or Berger disease. This is B-E-R-G-E-R. -E they do not mix with the one in the cardiovascular system. B-U-E-R-G-E-R. -E so two different ones. So this is IgA nephropathy. Um, there's a trend here. We're going, to, we're going to see stuff with the IgA stuff. Okay, so an IgA nephropathy, Berger disease. Uh, so with this, you have the deposition of IgA, which is your immunoglobulin A, uh, into your glomerulus. This is the glomerulus. You actually have IgA deposit in there. Usually it's run in the family. Um, could actually cause by vasculitis as well. We're going to talk about that shortly. Uh, it has to do with another disease, Hinchnock uh, purpura. Hinchnock uh, Schollen purpura, sorry. So this is progressive. It's over the years, usually in men, uh, you're going to see the bloody, rusty color urine. Okay. Testing, you're going to do the, the biopsy, and uh, you're going to see that IgA deposit. I'm going to show you that shortly. The video is not that interesting. If you want to watch it, please welcome to, but you don't have to. Um, there is medication that could slow down the progress, but most likely, um, most likely there's no cure to this disease. One interesting thing I want to show is that this disease is very common, interestingly, common in the Asian countries. 50% uh, occurrence in um, prevalence uh, in the Southeast Asian, 40% prevalence uh, in the uh, in Japanese culture, whereas here is almost rare disease, uh, where it's only 12% or so. The key things uh, to remember with uh, Berger disease is this, called PSPAS, uh, positive uh, PS, periodic acid shift. Periodic acid shift. This is the glomerulus. This is what the glomerulus look like. So glomerulus is here. This is the Bowman capsule around it. This is the Bowman capsule. Your glomerulus should be looking like this. Should look all look like this. You shouldn't have this clump of red right here. The clump of red does uh, identify that you have uh, the IgA being attacked. IgA been attacking your uh, that antibody start attacking the glomerulus in your in your kidney. So again, you have proteinuria. Your anything happened to your filter? Think of it. You have a filter. Your anything happened to your filter that doesn't work. So things just start to goes out. So you're gonna see protein in your urine. You're gonna see uh, red blood cell in your urine. The hematuria. All of those things. Anything big could go out because the filter doesn't work. 
Next one is glomerulonephritis. This is one of the more common ones. It's called GN, abbreviated as GN, glomerulonephritis. This is inflammation of your glomerulus uh, in your nephron. Okay, so this again, your filter, your glomerulus is actually being attacked by different things. It could be SLE, which is lupus, could be autoimmune, could be, and most commonly, is actually post strep glomerulonephritis, which means it's attacked by the strep, um, the bacteria strep, that you actually may have strep throat at first. The strep throat goes away for a couple of weeks, and then after a couple of weeks, you end up with kidney infection, glomerulonephritis. Okay, so something to keep in mind because you may often see these, okay, PSGN. Uh, bacteria endocarditis, something happened in your heart, it could go down to your kidney. Berger disease, the one we just talked about, IgA nephropathy, can lead to this as well. So, signs and symptoms is exactly the same. You're going to have proteinuria, hematuria, you may end up with hypertension again because of your kidney, it has to do with your, your blood pressure. Uh, testing, you look at the, the kidney function, basically, your BUN creatinine, your serum BUN creatinine will go up um, because your filter is not working, you just dump everything out. The lovely one is Hedgenock Choline Purpura. Hedgenock Choline Purpura. This is when your, um, this is when your, you have your blood vessel here. Oops, sorry, there you go. You have lining of your blood vessel inside here. This is when your, your immune system, okay, when your immune system start attacking. Okay, your immune system, your antibody. So you actually have antibody start attacking the inside lining of your blood vessel. You have these antibody inside lining of the blood vessel. Most of this, something to remember, most of this has related to URI, upper respiratory infection. So your URI, when you have any type of upper respiratory infection, you have an antigen that comes in, uh, you have the antigen, let's say this little guy is an antigen. When you have the antigen comes in, uh, your antibody, your uh, IgA, yes, IgA, your IgA would actually respond to these antibody. Okay, your IgA would respond to these antibody and start attacking these antibodies. But these, these antigen looks very similar to the wall, uh, look very similar to the wall of your blood vessel. It has the same coating, which is uh, we call mimic uh, coating. Uh, it has a similar coating. So instead of just attacking the antigen, the antibody thinks that the wall, inside wall, your blood vessel is part of that antigen as well. So they start attacking that uh, part of the inside wall of the of your blood vessel. Most often time, these antibody will form a complex. Uh, kind of come in and attach together, form a little complex uh, when you have these antibodies together. Okay. Form these complex as well. Uh, holding the protein in the middle. But uh, so big thing to remember that this one usually associate with uh, URI, which is upper respiratory infection. When you have an upper respiratory infection, uh, you may end up with this. This also associate with kids. So always remember with kids. Anything that uh, this you will see this in little kids. Uh, oh, sorry, handwriting, uh, spelling, uh, writing it with the mouse is not an ideal thing. So you're gonna see it with kids. Uh, you're gonna see with upper respiratory infection. Usually, also this is self-limiting, meaning that it should go away on its on its own by itself. Okay, um, it will affect you for a bit, and then it should go away by itself. Uh, the key symptom you're going to see in the purpura because of the antibody attacking these blood vessels, the blood vessels start corroding, you start seeing bleeding, uh, you can see hemorrhage everywhere on, 
on the body, especially on the joint and mainly on the ankle. You want to look for look for them in the ankle, uh, down on the on the leg. You're gonna see a huge, like a little like a lot of bruises actually on the ankles. Uh, very common with kids, could be with adults as well in teens. You're also gonna see arthritis, uh, abdominal pain because the lighting that we talk about is everywhere, including uh, including your GI tract. You may have uh, not just your blood vessel, but these antibodies may attack in in the lighting of your GI tract, causing abdominal pain, causing you to see blood in the stool called the letter. Okay, so there's a lot of uh, different locations that could happen, but this is one of the uh, one of the most common locations in the ankle, hand up, shoulder, purpura. Very interesting disease to remember. Again, these kind of go along uh, all together with IgA nephropathy, with Berger's uh, Berger's uh, disease, and hedge knot. Showing before, so all of these kind of goes together because it has to do with IgA. One is attacking at just the glomerulus. This one attacking your blood vessels everywhere in your blood vessels. So next one is the lovely one is called PKD, polycystic kidney disease. Polycystic kidney disease. There are two types of these. You have the autosomal dominant uh, versus autosomal recessive. The most common one is autosomal dominant, which is run wild and crazy. Yes, wild and crazy. In the family, so if you know you're seeing someone in the family that have this, more likely someone else in the family will have this. Um, so majority of the people who have PKD is actually autosomal dominant, which is adult onset. You see this when you become an adult. Uh, autosomal recessive. This is the childhood onset or at birth. You see this actually happen at birth, which is rare, only ten percent. And this disease by itself is rare to begin with, really rare to begin with. So it's uh, harder to see with this. Signs and symptoms, imagine, look at this little picture here on the bottom. The one that they're pointing, this is this is not a kidney, this is a liver. Liver is the one of the largest organs of your internal, your abdominal area, which is huge. This is your liver. Compare that size of the liver to what used to be a kidney. And I'm not sure what that is. Uh, it looked like, a, uh, looked like an alien blob. So you can see how big and huge that is. Uh, when we talk about PKD, we think of, you know, it actually, your kidney, which is the size of your fist, just exploded six times uh, the amount of size could be this big, uh, could be huge. Okay, and majority of these, these are filled with cysts. Remember the, the, the name polycystic. So this, all these are cysts. This is the hydrocyst, which means there's urine inside all of those. Nothing but urine. Uh, you know, one thing you could you could watch the video of the surgery of this one. One thing watching the video, but another thing being in the surgery itself, like quite smelly. Uh, a lot of urine smell, ammonia smell in that because um, to get through it, you have to pop some of these, um, pop some of these cysts, and you're gonna see a lot of urine coming up. Okay. So this is an automatic. Uh, you have this. You're gonna be put on automatic kidney transplant list. Automatically, you see how big that is, and if you have one, definitely you have more than going to have both of your kidney being removed. Uh, it's genetics, so you have this. You definitely need to get this removed. If you if you know someone in your family have this, we could test to see whether you have the gene. If you do have the gene, more likely you will have this disease, so you could be put on on the on the list right away. Uh, so when this happened, then you would have your kidney ready. Okay. So uh, very painful to go through uh, to have these. Again, you can see how big in terms of the sheer size of this thing, how big it is, how it actually blows out, blows up and out of proportion completely. As big as a football. 
Okay, next we're going to talk about the renal failure, okay, and stage renal disease or renal failure. Um, you could have the acute versus chronic. Acute, again, means something that quickly happened. It could be solved within a few days or weeks, whereas chronic is actually weeks, months, or years that you will have the problem. Reversible, that your kidney can go back and be able to work itself again. In reversible, your kidney is going bye-bye, cannot work anymore. Renal is in insufficiency. Uh, UOS means your kidney goes down approximately 25% of the normal. Renal failure, you complete the loss of your kidney function and stage of renal failure, which means that you only have 10% or less of your kidney remain. So this is when you start thinking about uh, taking out your kidney and putting you on the uh, uh, dialysis. So something to think about, risk, injury, failure, loss, and end stage. So renal failure, there are actually three stages of renal failure that you should know, pre-renal, renal, and post-renal. Uh, we're going to talk about that shortly. But the signs and symptoms is you have two terms that we're going to look at in a little bit more, asotenia versus uremia. Okay, Uremia versus asotenia, we'll look at that just shortly. U slash O is urine output. So decrease your urine output. You should, you sh should have less than 500 cc per day. Again, normal urine output is 1.5 liter to 2 liters a day. So 1,500 to 2,000 cc a day. Uh, so you decrease your urine output to that low. Edema. Uh, if you're not peeing, you're retaining water, you end up with edema, you have dyspnea, you have going into your lungs, fatigue, confusion, seizure, all kinds of stuff. Bad stuff. Uh, you could do UA to see your kidney function. You could see ultrasound, CT, also to see uh, the kidney itself or see the lungs as well. Okay. So treatment, uh, you could use glucose or insulin, uh, but also you could take out the kidney and put on to the on dialysis. So the causes um, breaks down into these three, and you guys have a different chart, but similar to these. But uh, you have pre-renal, which means anything that happened before. So pre means before the kidney itself. So before the kidney itself, any, any obstruction, like you could have atherosclerosis. Uh, you have plaque, start building a plaque in your renal artery or abdominal aorta. You could have ischemia, something blocking in that area. So anything blockage from blood to come in to your kidney, that's called pre-renal. Intrarenal or renal, this is happening inside your kidney. Anything that actually happened inside, like infection, drugs, a lot of drugs actually works on kidney and actually cause your kidney function to go down. Uh, autoimmune diseases like lupus, we just talked about that earlier, that could actually cause uh, the nephritic syndrome. So anything that happened in the kidney itself could actually cause what we call renal cause. Or post-renal, which is afterward, like your ureter, your bladder, your urethra, anything there that could cause obstruction, cause things to back up and cause your kidney to fail. So that would be the post-renal, like your BPH, your kidney stone, bladder injuries, um, you know, someone punch your bladder or somehow you get knocked out, you, you know, get your, your bladder get knocked out or whatnot. So things start to back up to your kidney and your kidney take on too much and then start to fail. So HUS, uh, hemolytic uremic syndrome, hemolytic uremic syndrome. I'm not sure you guys know guys know about this, I'm sure you, a lot of you are seeing this quite a bit. Again, it's um, associated with E. coli, okay, e. coli with kids, um, and you're seeing it with the acute renal failure in kids. Uh, so, very common, you guys already know this, not going to spend too much time with it. So. Acute kidney injury, so anything that causes your kidney to have um, obstruction, tubular obstruction. So things will start to back up to your kidney. 
a big thing to remember between these two, the uremia versus isothenia. Uremia is usually associated with renal failure, a sy syndrome of your renal failure. Uremia literally translates into your urea. You have too much urine in your blood. You have urine in your blood, so that's what uremia is. So therefore, you most likely will see the elevated uh, blood urea, BUN, and creatinine as well. So you're going to see those levels goes up. Whereas azothemia is accumulation of your nitrogen waste. So you're going to see that the nitrogen level goes up. That's what azothemias actually mean. So and some, a lot of time these two goes hand in the hand. Uh, these, go, these go to hand, hand in hand. You could have ure uremia. Uh, and you could have both of these without, you know, uh, without renal failure. But if you most likely you will see this uh, with renal failure. CKD, which is chronic kidney disease. This is where you, uh, your GFR is actually getting lower uh, than 60. Uh, most likely, most of the time now, we even diagnose with 50 because most people's GFR are kind of declining over time as we age. Uh, things are not working the way it's supposed to, so your GFR becomes a little bit weaker. Uh, this is glomerulus filter filtration rate, how much, how fast your glomerulus actually could filter out stuff. So as, as you're young and handsome, you guys could filter out a lot of stuff. Your filter is good, um, but as you get older, those filters become, you know, you use way too much and... Uh, wear and tear um, so you feel to become lower and lower the moment you get lower than 60 most likely like i said again it's 50 uh, for three or more consecutive months uh, you then will diagnose with ckds okay and if it's less than uh, 25 then you definitely need to think about renal failure and then think about dialysis oh, that whole nine yard a lot of causes that cause ckd that could be uh, you know you could have Fibrosis, you could have inflammation, all kinds of things. Hypertension as well. You guys can reveal CKD. Uh, BPH uh, is benign prostatic hypertrophy, BPH. Um, again, it's with men. Only men have prostate, so this is not a female disease. Yay, so none for women. Uh, the key to remember is uh, as we as men get older, uh, you will start seeing this in their 40. Uh, the testosterone level goes down, so this is called low T count, very com very common in uh, 40 and above male. The T, the T count, which is your testosterone level, goes down. Their epitestosterone ratio goes up. Therefore, you're going to start seeing the enlargement of the prostate. You're going to see the enlargement of the prostate. Uh, one of the things that you guys are going to be doing in, is the, the digital exam, uh, the prostate exam, is sticking two finger in with KY uh, up the butt, uh, have them bend over, you you insert your finger in, then you're going to start to feel the prostate. The prostate feels like your nose, like really bouncy. It's very almost like like your nose, the, that's the way you feel it. Uh, you're going to have two bumps, the left one and the right one, so you're going to feel that bump and then kind of measure how big it is. So just kind of like you measure the uh, dilation of, you know, when, during the birth, during labor, you di uh, measure the dilation of the vaginal, the vagina, the cervix, sorry, the cervix. Um, don't measure the vagina. You just measure the cervix. Uh, how big it is, same thing, you're going to measure your prostate the same way. So going in by feel you how big it is, and you're going to know how whether it's actually enlarged or not. Okay, so DRE, digital rectal exam, um, that's what you're going to use. Uh, PSA to rule out the prostate cancer. Technically, PSA is not accurate. 
throughout the prostate cancer, what we recommend to do is using the percent PSA. So you could have elevated PSA, but doesn't mean that you actually have prostate cancer. So if I were you, I would run both. I would run both PSA and percent PSA as well to see whether you have any chance of, of uh, prostate cancer. We're going to talk about prostate cancer later on. Uh, I think I believe it's uh, we're going to talk about PPH now. So, uh, so when the prostate becomes enlarged, things cannot flow through as as well. Things become kind of slowly coming up. So you're going to see the uh, getting up throughout the night. For most men, that's the common complaint that they have to wake up several times during the night to pee. Uh, they may see leaking. They have weak stream. That's one of the biggest things. So imagine like when, when you're young, you see these little kid peeing when they're young. It's kind of like a fire hydrant coming out. <laughs> lots and lots of pee coming out. As they get older, as we get older for men, things become a little weak. Like you just kind of have this little tiny faucet turning on and leaking out water, like dripping away. And you'll be standing there for like 10, 20 minutes just peeing alone. Uh, you might see the older folks standing on the stall urinal for like 10, 20 minutes, and that's why, because of the enlargement of the prostate. A lot to look forward to for guys. Um, treatment, we have medication for these. Um, big one to remember, I mean, big one to, for good, it's good for you to recommend to your patient is saw palmetto. It's actually help uh, reduce the size of the prostate. Uh, a lot of studies show that help reduce uh, the, the prostate enlargement. Okay, you could talk about this now. Prostate cancer. Prostate cancer is basically, uh, interestingly enough, you have, again, PSA. You test PSA, but also test percent PSA. There's something to, to test. Most of the time, it's asymptomatic. Most of the time, it's not going to um, metastasize to other part of your body. So, And for the most part, most urologists uh, tend not to treat this. Uh, if, it, if it happened in their 60 or 70, uh, they may not end up treating this. They may, uh, you know, not doing any surgery at all to keep the prostate the way it is. Uh, this is it's not a, a not as fast spreading type of cancer. It's actually a very slow progressing type of cancer. So most often time, most often time, you probably will die of something else aside from this. So let's say you were diagnosed in your 60s or 70s, most likely you probably will die of heart disease or you know Alzheimer's or other things aside from prostate cancer. So um, a lot of urologists now uh, elect not to not to do any surgery at all at all um, with this. So they choose not to treat it. Uh, they'll do prophylactic stuff to help uh, with the prostate enlargement, and prostate cancer symptoms, but they may not go in. They like to go in and do surgery with older folks. Okay, just keep that in mind. So renal cancer is something uh, for you to know, something for you to remember. There's um, the transitional cell carcinoma that's very common, especially in your bladder. Uh, and renal cell carcinoma that's... Um, usually have later symptoms and usually happen in your kidney um, causes. You have smoking, family history, um, you have hematuria, fine pain, palpable mass, you actually feel the mass in there. So hypercalcemia, that's something you could cause as well. One of the things that could happen to you, there's several things here, um, if you have urinary tract, uh, tract malformation, things that could cause uh, that could happen alongside with that, like you have low set malformed ear, chromosome disorder. Uh, one of the big ones to remember is called Wilms tumor. Wilms tumor. For some reason, this is really really rare, uh, rare tumor, rare, rare kidney tumor in kids, in infant. But yet, uh, we often ask you guys these questions on the exam, the 3P exam, for some weird reason, because it's honestly is very 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 
rare, uh, really rare to see this Wilms tumor. But we'll talk about it, we'll talk about that shortly. Let's talk about some of the terms before that. Um, hypospadus. Hypospadus. This is where you have the hole, the extra hole, on the bottom of the penis. Okay, you have additional hole. Well, it's not how penis look like, but that's okay. Uh, so that's imagine that's the penis, and you actually have uh, urine coming out on the bottom hole of the penis. They actually have an extra hole, so you have two holes. Uh, there's also epi. Uh, spatus, which is this one, the spatus. This one is actually you have the hole on the top, top portion of the penis. You actually have extra hole here on the top. So you have urine coming out on the top, urine coming out of the original hole. So two hole. Penile torsion. Uh, this is when the penis actually twists. Uh, very painful uh, twist uh, of the penis. Very very painful. Uh, Usually corrected can be corrected. Cordy, uh, which is the uh, <clears throat> cordy, this is um, when your penis go the opposite way. Instead of curving down like this, it's actually curving up uh, like that. Okay, so when the skin surface uh, causes the penis to bend ventrally. Okay. Uh, you guys could look at some of these terms, not a big, huge deal. The one that I want to add is the Wilms tumor, which is the last one I want to add is the Wilms tumor. Again, this is the rare case, really rare case, uh, really few to see, uh, usually caused by the chromosome 11, so it's genetics, but in the family is a recessive gene. The chromosome 11 is mutation. Um, so you actually end up with a huge uh, kidney tumor. Uh, you could definitely feel or palpable or palpate uh, these tumor on the kidney. Uh, less than five year old, uh, you have the classic sign called aniridia. Aniridia, which is you, it's lack of iris, lack of iris. You don't have the iris. You can see how big that that iris, iris is. It would be asymptomatic. It's not painful at all, but you're just going to feel a mass, a huge mass in the belly, uh, a huge mass in their belly. So you could feel that with kids. Even sometimes you could see uh, a hyperextension of the uh, of the belly button. Uh, Kind of distended, the abdominal become distended because of the the mass in there uh, can cause hypertension as well uh, because of the rendit. All of this, we have to go in and remove the uh, remove the tumor and also remove the uh, yep, remove the tumor and sometimes in some cases remove the kidney as well. So, um, bed wetting, uh, you guys want to see this in your clinic for sure is um, not uh, enuresis, enuresis. So you're going to see this uh, these in your clinic called bed wetting. There's different theories why causing enuresis could be organic, could be maturation lag, genetic factors, sleep pattern. So uh, most of the time that we treat it with medication, you guys will learn that shortly. Okay, so uh, let's go to one more thing. Kind of a quick summary, quick recap. Okay, so question one, which of the following infections is most commonly associated with the development of acute post-strep glomerulonephritis? We talked about this today. Take about five seconds to think about this. You guys could yell out the answer. I won't hear it, but you guys could yell it out if you by yourself. Otherwise, you look crazy. 
the answer is you remember this is uh, PSGN uh, PSGN so we would associate PSGN with most commonly associated with um, PSGN is your strep. You actually need to have a strep throat first. Uh, that's where you get that from. You have your strep throat and then you end up with uh, PSGN a few weeks later. An important, an important cause of persistent and recurring bacterial urinary tract infection includes. So what would cause, which, what would cause, think about what would cause a recurrent UTI. Recurrent UTI, why you keep having UTI all the time. So take another five seconds. Well, you could pause this video. The answer is you have the microbial resistance to antibiotics. So you are dealing with uh, antibiotics might they will, uh, become resistant to, to the treatment that you get. Number three, which, are, which one of the following microorganism causes the vast majority of UTI? So this would be pretty easy. Most one is caused by, when in doubt, always pick E. coli. Next one, which of the following complication associated with renal failure creates the greatest need for immediate dialysis? So what would cause, what would create immediate need for dialysis? Think of all the causes that would uh, lead to immediate need of dialysis. The answer would be hyperkalemia. One of them would be hyperkalemia. Last but not least, we should have following disorder is characterized by a lesion of the central or peripheral nervous system that affects bladder control. Affects the bladder control. Take about five seconds. The answer is the neurogenic bladder. Neurogenic bladder. Remember, uh, central nervous system, we talk about the neurogenic, uh, we talk about stress incontinent, we talk about. Um, What's the other one? Um, overactive bladder. So, so keep that in mind. Okay. So that's it for this video. Thank you for watching, and I'll see you in the next video.